You're listening to One Feather, Two Pens. Lessons and stories from Indigenous peoples building and navigating digital sovereignty. A special series on What's That Noise? Thanks for joining us today. I'm just going to take a moment, I think, just to do an acknowledgement uh, for everyone listening and to, I think to signal uh, and to say out loud a tremendous thank you and appreciation for where we live and do our work. For me, uh, out here in Victoria, I'm on the traditional lands of the Songhees and the Esquimalt, uh, the unceded traditional territories of the Lekwungen-speaking people. I have the good fortune to live here and work here and play here and raise my family here. Uh, and do the work that we do to lift up, celebrate our people across uh, Turtle Island. We certainly do work across the whole of the country, the whole of Canada. And so wherever you are today, I just want to signal and acknowledge that we are grateful that we have the privilege and the honor to do the work where we do, and our hands are up uh, in thank you uh, and in celebration of you and you, your families and your community, your culture, the way you live, the way you play, the way you look after each other and all of us. So Gaila Kessler as well for the opportunity to be doing the work here uh, in what my grandfather would say, uh, Indian country. And good, bad or ugly um, uh, in terms of that word. Um, he said it with kindness and love and gentleness and a real appreciation for who we are, where we come from. Uh, and so I say that, I say Indian country in respect of that and of homage to him because he, he used that word uh, and that term in a good way. And he used it in a way that was there to lift our people up and to celebrate our identity, our history, our culture, and where we come from. Uh, and so as well to those ancestral voices that are there whispering to us all the time and helping guide us and move us along. Kayla uh, Kesla, and thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to share space with some really amazing people. Thank you, Lawrence. Our exciting journey on One Feather, Two Pens has recently examined, as you know, Indigenous media quite a bit. And questions of authenticity and representation have been coming up. And so I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. She's an award-winning actor, producer, director, and filmmaker. She's a member of the Kainai First Nation, as well as Sami from Norway. And in 2021, she released Gimma Bibitsen, The Meaning of Empathy. It's a truly powerful film exploring the impact of the opioid epidemic in her own community. Our guest is, of course, Ella Maya Tailfeathers. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Okay, hello. It's it's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I apologize for any sort of background noise you might hear. Um, it's a busy house here on the Blood Reserve. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably hear my dogs at some point too, so that's no problem. Ella Maya, to, to kick things off, I, I had so many questions that I wanted to start with, and I'm going to simplify it by asking something that I think is uh, rather big. And so not to set you up too much, I wanted to get from your experience when you've been on your reserve and you're bringing your film crew in, what is it that you feel you can effectively capture using technology? Or even conversely, what do you feel is lost? What are the things that you feel might be difficult to capture in an effective way for an unfamiliar audience when you're bringing technology into your community? Yeah, I think that's a fascinating question. Um, I guess I could start with talking about process on on Gimmapi Bitsen. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I really kind of struggle with documentary as a form. Um, 
largely because I don't necessarily identify as a documentary filmmaker. I identify as a storyteller and, and um, first and foremost, as a member of my community with a responsibility to my community mm. um, and our specific ways of relating to one another and our, our specific ways of telling stories and sharing knowledge. Um, and so with this particular project, I felt, uh, I felt conflicted in, in the sense that I'm just one voice within my community and I have the resources at hand and the skill set at hand to be able to share this type of knowledge. Um, but I can't speak for everyone. Um, and my lived experience is, is simply that it's, it's my own. And so in terms of my process, I, I really struggled to find a way to, um, I guess, put a, collective set of voices into a narrative that all made sense that was also um, accessible to not only my community but a broader audience and keep it all within two hours <laughs> and it's you know it's a two hour long film and that's that's quite long for for a documentary you know we're urged to keep it to 90 minutes and there was so much that got lost in in that process because we've we filmed for, for four years and there's hundreds of hours of footage. Um, and there were a lot of people who participated and who were, you know, willing to be brave and vulnerable and share their stories. Um, and they didn't make it into the film or even just tiny portions of people's, um, stories made it into the film. So a lot of that gets lost. And, and that was, I would say very difficult, um, for me to kind of part ways with, information that I know is kind of crucial to the story. Um, and I guess what I found really interesting about the process was to kind of try and think of it as a conversation um, within my community. Um, and so I spent a year basically researching and developing. And in terms of research that involved literally sitting with dozens and dozens of people from my community, from all walks of life, different lived experiences and different sort of perspectives on the broader picture. And it was so fascinating to kind of step in as, as the, the filmmaker and, and sit down and just have conversations with people and kind of see all of the connections that people were making. And also just to see the areas where um, there was disagreement on, on a really contentious issue, which is, you know, harm reduction and addiction in our community. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started to kind of think about the film as a conversation and to create um, space for these people who might not talk to each other because we're a massive community. There's 14,000 members of our, of our nation and 7,000 live on reserve. And so, you know, there's a lot of us who will probably never have conversations with one another. So I tried to think of this as an opportunity to sort of create a space for people to, to converse with each other um, and ultimately create kind of like a, I guess, like a tapestry of dialogues and, and try to include as many voices as possible. And so in terms of documentary, I think it's kind of this, this medium that's kind of becoming a little bit monolithic in terms of formula and approach and aesthetic mm -hmm. and all of those things. And we're kind of pressured to create marketable uh, films that have, have a similar look and sound and feel and also have a similar formula in terms of the way that the narrative is told. And it's often um, coming from a corporate place and also um, 
a very like Western idea of how stories are told. And so I had to kind of try my best to resist that. I'm not saying that I was pressured by the national film board or anything like that to, to conform, but um, I did feel a certain pressure to tell a certain kind of story. And so I had to try and resist that and find a way to include as many voices from my community as possible. Um, and to do so in a way that was respectful to all of those voices and to recognize that as the filmmaker, having editorial control over someone's voice is, is a, is a massive position of power. So there's this like huge power differential, even entering that space as the filmmaker, knowing that ultimately I have the editorial say on how all of this goes together. So the process also involved ensuring that everyone in the film saw a fine cut before I, before I finished it to make sure that they felt um, respectfully represented. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the story keeps going when the film ends the story keeps going and it's it, it it's different from the way it was when we finished in 2020 and um yeah so there's a lot that gets lost and a lot that's difficult to um to navigate um and you know film is just sort of like one medium um and what i've found is that there's a lot of richness to be had in terms of the dialogues that have right. come from this film and everything yeah. that can be done in terms of building relationships. That's amazing. And, uh, and I thank you for, for doing that work, I think, in such a, um, uh, uh, from a position of awareness and understanding of your responsibility in, in doing this work. And I think we're at this interesting kind of crossroads, if you like, where this digital technology, this, what we're doing and our ability to contribute and participate here is, is this crossroads where we finally have, we finally have the space, if you like, to do it in a way that makes sense to us and, and in a good way. And what I can hear in your voice is a real attention and understanding and awareness and a, and a, and a appreciation of how it's your responsibility to do this in a good way uh, with love and kindness and gentleness and but also real clarity like we're going to do hundreds of hours of, of recordings and at the end of the day we're only going to be able to capture this kind of snippet and i'm sure you reviewed that with your people like i'm sure they're not surprised by that and so just hearing you take the time to express um uh concern and understand your responsibility there is is really is really, really appreciated. And we think about how do we use this digital space in a good way and create space for that. It's just about making sure that we always do that uh, in a good way with kindness and love, uh, appreciation uh, with each other. So, and that's so all, I'm saying thank you for that. Cause I, I think that's always, I think that's reassuring uh, and it's not, and an understanding that the world we live in and, and that we work in has these other pressures and these other requirements that we're sometimes, you know, forced or told that we have to uh, accommodate and comply with. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm really kind of inspired to hear that, that, and what I hear you saying is that there was some reimagining of how that could work and how it should be done. And uh, as others are listening and thinking about about what they do in their in their space in this digital space or the work that they do, did you give real thought to uh, like was it intentional this this kind of reimagining or was it more like a 
like a gut or a heart instinct that no, we need to do this differently. Did you go through a design process or did you, did you kind of just stumble, stumble through it as you went knowing that it's good work and you're going to do the right thing? Like, how did you navigate that from, from your own soul in terms of, uh, of creating this final product? I, well, I, you know, it was a, it was a, a matter of sort of like feeling it out as I went along. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what the film was going to be. I just knew that I had, an obligation as a member of my community to document what was happening here in order to share both with with my own community and other Indigenous communities and then also the broader non-Indigenous world to just be able to witness what was happening here and to maybe understand it on a deeper level. Um, but in terms of the actual process of, of figuring it out, it was, it was definitely something I felt as I, as I went along and I'm sure I screwed up many times. Hmm. Um, but ultimately it was about relationship building and recognizing that in building relationships with the people who chose to participate, I have a responsibility to them and their families Mm -hmm. to do this in the most responsible, respectful way. And that involves, um, consent and collaboration often there's like, I I think in the documentary film world, there's kind of a blurring of like real honest consent, like respectful Mm -hmm. consent. Um, You know, we sign consent forms and release forms and things like that. But I do feel like there's kind of like a certain element of like, um, of dishonesty that can happen. And I think in this case, I really tried to resist that and just to do this in the best way possible and also the most honest way and and just respect the relationships that were built because you know in so many cases when an outsider who's a filmmaker goes into a community and tells the story of a marginalized community they helicopter in (laughs) tell the story and then leave like for instance there was a vice documentary about this very issue that was told very early on and um it was just kind of I, I think quite in, enlightening and also alarming just to know how that process looked. And at the end of the day, those people just leave the community and never have to like be accountable to anyone mm-hmm. ever again, you know? Um, whereas this is my community and in many cases, they're family members and um, I have to treat them with respect. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it was definitely something that I learned along the way and kind of tried to resist in terms of figuring out new ways and a a lot of like self-interrogation as well like why am I doing this who is this for and how is this going to impact the people who participate um for one like I hadn't anticipated uh the number of people that would pass on after and during the process of making the film like we've we've lost um 15 people who participated in the film. It was over four years, right? Yeah. 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 And it's been, it's been two years since it was released. Um, so yeah, in that time I started working on it, I believe in 2017 is when we started filming. Uh, so it's been five years. And in that wow. time, 15 people have died. Wow. And in some cases like this film and that little tiny snippet of those people is like, all that really exists of this person in, in the public world. And, you know, that's, that's a huge responsibility to know that these images, these digital images of somebody um, and their voice and their story and everything that's, that's there mm-hmm. is what's out there for the world to see for all of time. And they're never going to get to like 
respond to that 10 years down the road because they've passed on. And so that's a, that's a really heavy sort of burden to bear, but also um, I consider it an honor that they wanted to share their stories and that they exist in this film in some way and that we get to hear their voice um, for the rest of time. <laughs> yeah. You know, in many ways, it's like a beautiful memoir for, for their contribution, right. In terms of who they were and telling their story. And uh, I think that's, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's just, uh, that's an amazing legacy, I think from the film, uh, from the work that you do is to capture that. And, and cause I, at least where I come from, the public statement or the public speaking or the public declaration or the public recognition is, is where we hold our laws and our social values and our principles and how we're held accountable. And so that's, uh, and it's certainly the work you're doing is like just a huge, is a huge aspect of that. Did you find that there was resistance? Like I, I, you know, 20 years ago doing a podcast or making a movie documentary in this space would have just been unknown territory like how was the community receptive to this kind of medium being used and how it would look after us uh, from a from an ownership perspective and a um, doing the right thing perspective and not being extractive and lifting our people up like what did you come across in that experience i think you used a term that's like really really useful in this in this instance which is extraction and and an extractive process and um you know that can exist in so many mediums especially when we're talking about stories that relate to marginalized or mm -hmm. communities that are made vulnerable and so in this instance again it was about relationship building so i didn't receive any sort of pushback or any sort of resistance people were really wanting to share their stories and i think it had to do uh with just building relationships and building trust and sharing intentions and knowing i think in this instance that i'm from this community and mm -hmm. um and yeah it, it was it was a matter of like really just sitting with people and listening to them and learning from them and um just trying to like humble myself as well, because I, you know, when I started, I thought I, I knew so much about, um, the world of addiction and substance use disorder and harm, harm reduction, but in making the film and in making, and in the process of building these relationships and, and literally just like sitting with people who are on the front lines and people who are actively using, um, and understanding the barriers that they face every day, I just realized I was so ignorant and knew so little. So it was really this deep process of, of, of learning and also unlearning. And so I tried to like apply that idea as well to my audience and to, you know, to recognize that the general public was probably where I was at when I started in terms of understanding. Um, but yeah, in terms of resistance, I didn't really experience any of that. Maybe I've experienced resistance for myself um, because there's so many documentaries that have been made about addiction and often they're very uh, sensational or um, kind of like in some weird, weird ways like fetishized trauma and pain and, and, um, and are kind of made as like a mode of consumption for entertainment. And so I kind of had this internal resistance of like of questioning myself and interrogating myself as to like, mm -hmm. why am I making this? How am I making this? And what are the images that I'm going to put on the screen? And, um, 
yeah, so there was a lot of like resistance to, uh, but in a good way, <laughs> resistance <laughs> to replicating that and um, kind of recognizing that um, a t this type of film in particular doesn't really exist yet. Um, mm -hmm. The only person who I could point to that has had, has made something of this nature that is about our people and kind of looks at the broader picture of colonialism and its impact is obviously Alanisa Bomsawin um, and the numerous docs that she's made. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of about that of like trying to find a new way of telling a story and to try and find a way that resists extractive forms of filmmaking and resists um, sensationalizing our pain and our trauma mm -hmm. um, for the sake of, you know, marketability. Yeah. It sounds to me like there's a, a lot of tension management that goes on. I mean, you're talking very reflexively and from a, a real place of self-awareness about, um, you know, challenging yourself to, to represent um, and to share in a way that's authentic and is just and is acceptable. At the same time, I understand that from an APTN interview with you, actually, that um, another one of the real tension spaces was combating like what you talked about with Vice and what happens when Canadian Western, very neoliberalized media try to develop these critical, as it were, narratives about life on a reserve um, in Canada. This has got me thinking a little bit, Elamaya, about uh, the role of empathy in the digital. Would you mind um, reflecting for us a little bit on how and whether this is a kind of an avenue for uh, connecting to that authentic to uh, allow yourself uh, and the people that you're capturing to speak on their own terms in a way that a camera from Vice wouldn't be able to? Yeah, sure. Again, I think it just comes down to relationship building. And um, in this instance, it also came down to just reflecting my community's values and, and the way that we relate to each other as Blackfoot people and to recognize we all come from the same place and the same people and the same culture um, and and just doing my best to be accountable. Um, one thing that I that I did that um, that I will continue to do with all of my projects um, is that we did uh, I guess you'd call it anti-oppression cultural competency training with my non-Indigenous crew. Um, and so, you know, when you're bringing in a uh, crew from outside of the community who, you know, might have the best of intentions, um, they're still walking in with a lifetime of, of potential bias and experience that informs their perspective. Um, and, you know, you mentioned reconciliation earlier, and, you know, I think half of reconciliation, I don't even know if reconciliation is possible, <laughs> but I do think that truth is really important. Yeah, really. And part of that, you know, I think building a new relationship um, requires truth and requires difficult dialogue and also requires a lot of education and also unlearning. And so um, I had uh, my non-Indigenous crew kind of go through this training. It was three days long and um, it involved learning about the history of settler colonialism in Canada and the way it impacts our people today. Sorry, my dog is very groany. <laughs> when he's relaxing, he, he groans. Surprised we haven't heard more yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, 
it, it, we, we did this cultural competency training and they also had an opportunity just to learn from elders in my community. And we also started with ceremony, which was really important, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of grounding everybody and also just reminding my crew members that they're coming into a community that's not their own and that it's um, it's a privilege to be able to come into my yeah, community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that often when, say, media producers like Vice, for instance, come into a community like this one, they might not recognize that it's a privilege uh, to be able to come into the community and that the fact that people are sharing these stories with yeah. them um, is, is huge and that in receiving those stories they have a huge responsibility to do right by those individuals and by that community um and so and 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 really they're only getting you know the story right insofar as their own lived experience and insofar as their own perspective and you know i'm from my community but that doesn't mean i understand everybody's lived experience i think there's this i think it's really common within indigenous communities um and in our own perspectives to try and apply a sense of humility and understanding that um, we're just one person within a community and we can't speak for everybody and we can't, um, you know, apply our own experience to absolutely everybody else's experience. So yeah, there's kind of a, um, a lot there to be said about monolithic representations of our people in the media. Yeah, I was, I'm 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 struck by by what you just said. Cause we uh, One Feather is a technology company, so we build some pretty innovative stuff, and and we're going down this pathway of doing some stuff in this digital space that's never been done before, let alone for Indigenous people, right? Um, and we just had a two day summit with our staff uh, last week, actually, and half of those two days we were in ceremony. And so you think about you know a good half of our staff are not Indigenous, so to to spend two days. Of, you know, half of those two days in ceremony of some form or another. So we started off in ceremony and we did some work and then we, we actually closed the session off in ceremony as well. And um, it's uh, it's a, it's such a critical process, I think, because it, it um, some hard conversations and some hard stories have to be told so that the awareness and the appreciation of, of their role and what we're doing um, comes with a tremendous responsibility and burden uh, owed to Indigenous people, not them personally. Like it's not them that owes this debt, but it's that they uh, necessarily, but it's that they are there to represent and do something different in a good way for Indigenous folks. And if you're going to be a part of this pathway and journey with us, then you have a responsibility to act and behave and do things in a way that kind of aligns with our values and principles. And you're you're in it for all the right reasons, not uh, to make a paycheck and not to do, you know, make uh, uh, some treasure on the other end and, and and i use the term extractive all the time like we are not doing extractive things we are doing things that add value and lift our people up and then the minute it feels extractive we stop and we figure out why it feels that way and we kind of revisit that like you i have the benefit of growing up in my community and being a part of that in in, a, in an active way you know culturally trained singer named dancer all those things um, and and spent summers with with uh, with elders in my community and chiefs um, uh, as part of that um, training, if you like, as the as the oldest son. What advice would you give to other folks who may have not had that experience, who are indigenous, who want to who want to be in this space and do the good things and do the storytelling and and be a part of of a reconciliation or at least a pathway that is bold uh, and is, you know, want to do work, want to do good things and want to explore, particularly, you know, whether it's filmmaking or in digital space or whatever that looks like. 
because it can be pretty freaky. It can be pretty scary. Well, I should say that I grew up all over the place, um, but grew up with the privilege of a really supportive, loving family that is immersed in culture. And, you Mm -hmm. know, my first language is Sami. And um, I was always exposed to my Blackfoot culture growing up and my family's Mm -hmm. involved in ceremony. Um, So, but yeah, I should mention I grew up all over the place because of uh, my mother's education and and my father's work. And um, yeah, I think it comes down to like to voice um, Mm -hmm. and questioning whether or not uh, you are the right person to tell a specific story. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to be said about the collisions of of power and privilege, mm-hmm. even within the indigenous community. You know, like I am, I, I am a middle class person who benefits from light skin privilege, and yeah. you know, all all I, I, even the fact that I got to grow up with a, a, a family connected to community and culture that's a form of privilege. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all it's all relative, um, but I think that we always need to consider voice and who is the right person to tell a story. Um, so often I, you know, I, I kind of struggle with um, people who take up a lot of space who don't belong in those spaces or who haven't earned the right to speak mm-hmm. in those spaces yet. Um, and a lot of that comes from a sense of privilege and lack of self-awareness. Um, and I think that largely applies to like outsiders who are non-Indigenous, who kind of come into our communities and take up space um, because they feel that in this paternalistic way that they know better (laughs) than us and that they can do better than us and they know what's best for us. Um, And sometimes I think that like settler mentality of of paternalism can infiltrate our own people. And um, I think it's, it's really important that we consistently practice a sense of humility and self-awareness and um, navigate spaces within our own communities and recognize our own privilege as Indigenous people if we do come from positions of privilege and the ways that we can perhaps open doors for others Mm -hmm. and the ways that we can build community and build capacity within our communities um, and the ways that we can allow others to speak who might have uh, a, a more insight into something or, um, uh, you know, that the lived experience that's necessary to speak on something. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a consistent sort of navigation of, of voice and privilege and power and self-awareness and, and all of those things. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those, those excellent points, Elamai. I think they translate well into pieces of advice for indigenous people that are seeking to get into this kind of digitally and technologically mediated world of storytelling. I'm wondering if you have some final thoughts to wrap up the show on this historical moment for being able to tell those kinds of stories. It's a really exciting time for Indigenous film and television and media and digital arts, just in terms of narrative sovereignty and screen sovereignty. It's a term that means a lot of things, but Ultimately, to me, narrative sovereignty or screen sovereignty means that we as Indigenous peoples, and hopefully more specifically within our nations and places of origin, that we are the ones speaking for ourselves, that we are leading these projects, and these aren't extractive forms of process. 
yeah, it, it, it means a lot of things, but it's a very exciting time in terms of narrative sovereignty. And there's so many really exciting projects that have come out. I'm really excited about um, Nyla Nookshuk's film Slashback, which is this like really fun, thrilling, smart feature about uh, four Inuit girls in the north who are fighting an alien invasion. Um, I think it's, it's so really, cool really that it, well produced. Yeah, it's it is. It's beautiful, <laughs> and I think it's so cool that Inuit youth have this film to watch and it comes from them and it's by them for them. And that's really exciting. And it's also proving that films like that and, you know, reservation dogs, we're seeing this like mm -hmm. huge audience attracted to this show that's created by indigenous people for indigenous people. But it's it, what it speaks to is the fact that our stories are also palatable to a broader audience. And we're at this like very exciting time where not only we as Indigenous media creators um, are finally getting access to somewhat equitable resources. I'd say there's a long way to go before mm -hmm. that happens, um, but we're getting somewhat equitable access to resources. <laughs> it's not there yet. Um, and also the fact that a, a more broad audience is kind of in a place where they are willing and happy to consume the stories that we tell, but also um, I think we have to continue asserting narrative sovereignty and continue to make sure that our stories are not um, made, uh, I guess, appropriated and co-opted in a way that they have been for the last 150 or more years. Um, you know, there's, there's shows that are like really popular right now, like Yellowstone and mm. 1923 and 1883. And those aren't, made by indigenous people, but no. there are huge amounts of indigenous repre representation on screen. And a lot of our people are very excited to watch those shows because it, it's fun to see your people on screen. Um, but you know, there's problematic narratives there because of a lack of, um, lived experience and understanding and consent and, um, um you know, relationship building, and the fact is, is like, there's so many talented indigenous writers and directors um, and producers and just people working in various aspects of, of this industry um, that there, there really is no excuse now to be telling our stories on screen without our involvement mm -hmm. um, in, in like a meaningful, real way where we're not just consultants because there's this like long history of hiring indigenous consultants, but essentially consultation is not consent and consultation <laughs> is not, you know, um, equitable, um, relationship building in a way that like is truthful and meaningful representation. Yeah. It's amazing. You're what I'm struck, uh, by in this conversation with you, LMI is that you use words and terminology that are really dear to me. Some things like narrative so sovereignty, like, wow, we're only the impression I'm getting is we're only scratching the surface with you on what that really means to you. And so just in a really impressive um, conversation with you today about, about where you're at and who you are and why you do what you do and, and what's important and why it's important and, and lifting our people up. And so I'm just really thankful for the opportunity I've met you today and shared some time with you and created a space for a very short, but I think very impactful um, dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much.